Well, thank you, Chip, and it is a privilege to be back here with you guys. It really is. I, I uh, was telling Chip, and I mentioned to the congregation this morning, uh, preached my very first sermon right here in the uh, early 70s, first time I ever, ever preached. And I finished the sermon. I felt okay about the sermon. And then I uh, talked to one person after the next, after the next, who said, I'm sure it was good, but I didn't hear a word you said. The microphone was not on. And uh, so I, I was telling that to Chip. And uh, after the first service, several people said, well, it was, I just couldn't hear some of it. I, I, I'm not used to staying right up here with a mic. I'm used to turning and looking at people over here and looking. And so here's what I'm going to ask you to do. All right? I want, you to, I want you to do this. If I'm moving away from this and you can't hear me, I will not call on you when you do it, but just raise your hand, let me see you, and that's going to say, get up to the mic, all right? Because I'm thinking about what I'm saying, not how I'm positioned on this microphone. Will you all do that for me? All right, I'm counting on that, all right? Turn in your Bibles, if you have your, uh, your scriptures with you. Uh, turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 9. When I was asked to speak, Chip said, you're concluding your missions conference. You've had a wonderful time with Lloyd Kim here. And, and uh, I picked this text that's come out of a, a series that I uh, did uh, not too long ago. Uh, it's on the church. I think it's very appropriate as an application to what you've been thinking about over the last week or so as has to do with your missions conference. Uh, so uh, if I put a title to this, it would be The Church, A Priesthood. A priesthood. Now, I have taken this text and spent three weeks in Atlanta teaching this text. I'm going to do it in one week. So I'm going to cut out some detail, obviously. Bigger picture, I hope, makes its point. So I'm going to read the text now, but I'm going to pause at a couple of occasions so that this text has more meaning to you when I read it. And then I'll go into it, all right? First Peter chapter 2 beginning with verse 4. And coming to him as to a living stone which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. Pause. I want you to note a living stone in verse 1. This is a theme that's going to be carried throughout, used as an analogy. You'll see stone, living stone, which will refer to you and me if we are Christians... We are stones that make up, in this analogy, a building, later will be called a temple. But a building, and this building is just analogous for the church. Jesus, as you will see in just a quick minute, will be referred to in the text as the cornerstone. He too a stone, we living stones, but him the cornerstone. Verse 5, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood. Pause. If I were to pull three most important significant truths from this text, this would be the first one, and we'll delve into this in just a minute. So point number one, truth number one is this. Every Christian is a priest. We'll talk about that. Or ladies, a priestess, all right? Every one of us are priests. Continue on in verse 
verse 9, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So number two, we're going to talk about every Christian is to offer sacrifices. Big point, all right? Continue reading. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him, Christ, will not be disappointed. Would you remember those words? Those people that hold on to Christ shall not be disappointed. Very end of the message, I'll say that something about that. Verse 7. This precious value then is for you who believe, but for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they're disobedient to the word, and to this doom they were also appointed. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. And now note the third major truth. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So number three is every Christian is to proclaim the excellencies of Christ. All right? Let's look at the... uh, At the very first of the three teachings, number one, every Christian is a priest or a priestess. So here we go. Let me uh, let me play a little word picture game with you. All right. I'm going to mention a uh, a profession and then I want you to think what comes to your mind when you hear that profession. So here's the profession. Librarian. Now, you got to picture a librarian right now in your mind. When you do so, tell me this. How many of you pictured a female? Did you do a female? Yeah, I did too. Now, here's a better one. How many of you saw a female with a hair in a bun? Huh? Yeah, several of us did, didn't we? That's our image. We hear librarian. And you look at yourself and say, well, maybe I'm a male. Well, there are male librarians. But we think, well, I'm a male. I don't have long hair. I don't have my hair in a bun. I'm not a, I'm not a librarian. You wouldn't even relate to it. All right, let me use a second profession. Priest. When you see a priest in your mind's eye, when you see that priest, I mean, you know, you saw a male. You saw that male in a long, probably white robe of some sort. Perhaps you see certain things in his hands that he's using. But you picture that priest. You see, the reality is you don't see yourself as a priest any more than you see yourself as a librarian. We never think of ourselves as priests. I remember I was coaching a, uh, a, a little kid's baseball team, and one of the kids comes up to me and heard, I guess, that I was a preacher, came up and said, Mr. Pope, are you really a priest? And I started to say, oh, no, 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 I'm not a priest. And then I thought, well, yeah, I guess I am a priest. I mean, what do you say to that? The reality is, I am a priest, but you are too, if you are a Christian. You know what the Bible teaches in other places I won't go into right now? You know, it teaches that you and I become priests the very day that we're born again. The very day we come into the faith, you and I become priests. And you realize that there's no way to cease being a priest. All we can do is be a disobedient priest, perhaps. We cannot quit being priests. 
Well, in church history, we just celebrated 400 years of the Reformation. We hold big the Reformation. We should. God used that Reformation in an amazing way. Well, one of the thoughts of the Reformation is we have to bring the Word of God and the work of God back to the people of God. Do you realize that there are saints who have given their life in defense of that truth right there? And to a great degree, through the Reformation, the Word of God was given back to the people of God. The work of God, though, for the most part, has not. You can go to outstanding churches. They never will think of themselves, the people of the churches, we are the priests. And here's how you can tell that. Because if they're in a time of sickness, if they are in a hospital, if they have an issue going that's difficult in their life, and their preacher does not come by, they've not been ministered to. Many would hold that. We'd gone to Atlanta to plant Perimeter Church, and we were seeing a lot of conversions, and God was doing a lot of things, and we were doing some unique things that were being written about a little bit here and there, and for whatever reason, there were churches that would know of us that would be out of state, maybe in the, the state of Tennessee. I remember getting calls from Tennessee pastors, and it would be this call several times. Randy, I pastor in Tennessee, da 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 da, and I have a member of our church who has come to Emory in Atlanta for special treatment. And I cannot get there, but maybe once a week. And so my member needs to be ministered to daily, so I'm wondering would you be able, on my behalf, to go to Emory each day and visit with my member? Well, to get to Emory, with traffic, normal traffic and so forth, at least 45 minutes. To get to the room, another 15 minutes. The time to minister, to get back. I'm taking out a major swatch of my day just to visit that one member. And I have to say this. I have to say to them, look, I'm sorry, I will not be able to do that. But I'll tell you what I can do. I can have someone highly equipped who is well-gifted, even better than me, to be at that hospital on a daily basis to actually minister to your member. Assuming them to say, well, thank you, that would be wonderful, only to hear this. Will the person be ordained? Because if not, my member will ask, and they will not accept that person. Can you imagine that? What they're saying is, in our church, we reject the priesthood of all believers. There are certain that are like Chip. He's a priest. But we are the people to be ministered to. That's not the way the scriptures talk about it at all. It's the priesthood of all believers. So I had a pastor out of state call me. Same thing. Somebody in Emory, would you go visit? Gave the answer. They were okay. They said, just if you could send somebody, that would be very meaningful. I said, I'll do that. We happened to have a, a man in our church who had come to our church years earlier and thought he was a Christian. He was not. Came to Christ. He was a very worldly man. I always draw a picture of a circle that I'm standing in. If I were able to, to draw it, it would be a, a big circle. And his feet, when I met him, were planted right in the middle of the world. The worldly of worldly people. His life changed a lot. When he came to faith, at one foot, because he was a true Christian now, 
it stepped outside that circle. And that other leg, and we talk about it, that leg is hard. I'm pulling, I'm, I'm pulling, but it is caught. It's hard. He's sliding it a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time. And, you know, he's being sanctified, but it's a slow process. And then his daughter, who had graduated from high school, the, the queen of the school, a cheerleader, just a godly girl. She goes to the University of Alabama her first year going to a ball game, killed in a car wreck. Only you that have lost children can appreciate how painful that is, that loss. And I watched Joe, and oh, it was the, she was the delight of his life. And I watched that foot just quickly drag almost to the edge of that circle, as if to say, my little girl, she's in heaven. And you know what? That's what I'm excited about. I'm going to be back with her. Her life, his life changed. But I'll tell you when it really changed. Very soon, a month or two after that, found out he had terminal cancer. They sewed him up, said, we can't help you. We'll put you on a little chemo treatment, but your life is very, very short from this point on. Outside a miracle. Well, you just watch that leg, that second foot, it just pulled out of the circle. It was like to say, why am I investing here? I'm about to go there. So he calls me, he says, hey, Randy, use me. Use me. We're talking it up. Priesthood of all believers. Priesthood of all believers. He said, use me. I want to be used as a priest. Okay. Well, when this call came to me, I thought, hmm, Joe, he's the man. I called Joe. I said, Joe, you want to be used of God? Yes, I do. All right, I got a ministry for you. You need to go to the hospital on my behalf and visit someone who has cancer. You have cancer. You understand. He's on chemo. You've had chemo. He said, I can understand that. He said, now, I just don't know how to do that. I've never done something like that. I said, well, that's my fault because I'm an equipper. The Bible says that the pastor teacher is to equip the saints as priests to do the work of ministry. So I've not done my job with you to this end. So let's get together. We get together, say, here's what you do. And here's how you do it. He goes, well, that's pretty simple. I can do that. I said, well, of course you can do that. So he goes to the hospital and he goes back again and he goes back. But when he comes back, he says after the first time, he says, Randy, I tell you what, I didn't get the whole story about this man. Number one, yes, he's dying, but he's dying in the next day or two. Number two, he's not a Christian. He would think he is, but I could tell from talking to him, he does not understand the gospel. And then he said this, Joe said, Randy, you got to get down there and witness to him before he dies. I look at him and I say, Joe, no. You've got to go witness to him before he dies. He says, me, I wouldn't know how to witness. I said, well, that's my fault because I have not equipped you. So we got together and I said, here's what you say and here's what you do. And he says, okay, it's going to be a little harder than just going to visit. Okay. So he goes and he shares the gospel with him. He goes back the next day and he goes back the next day until the man dies a few days later. No story of conversion that we know of. But he catches me after church that next week, and he says, Randy, you should never go to the hospital. And I go, what do you mean? He said, tell me, Randy, how many times would you have visited that man? One time, right? I said, well, yeah. He said, well, of course, if you've got 50 people in hospitals from your church at any given time, you can't visit all, you know, every week. It's not going to happen. But I was able to go back and back. And then he said in his own cute way, he said, and besides... I think I did a better job than you would have done. I said, I love that. Absolutely. By the way, that was not the end of the story with Joe. I get a phone call from him. 
Joe says to me, Randy, my next-door neighbor has just passed away, female, 38 years of age. Her husband's called me. He's in a panic. He said, Joe, help me. My wife has just been pronounced dead, heart attack. We were driving last week, and we were talking about Jessica, Joe's daughter, her funeral. And we said, we don't go to church. We don't have a preacher. Who's going to help us if, when something happens to us? And you know, the wife said to the husband, if I die before you do, see if Joe's preacher still lives in Atlanta. I, I think I, I'd like for him to do my service. Well, she saw a service of, you know, celebration of life. So he calls me and Joe says, Randy, I know you can't just bury any and everybody. But in light of this, kind of his last, her last request, would you do it? I said, Joe, did you know you don't have to be ordained to do funerals? <laughs> Joe, Joe, Joe. <laughs> Next thing Joe comes back and says, oh, no, no, no. Now, I will go to hospitals and I'll even witness, but I don't do funerals. I will not do a funeral. I said, I'm sorry, Joe, because your poor neighbor, you're not going to do it and I'm not going to do it. It's leaving them in a bad spot, isn't it? He said, you can't do that, Randy. I said, yes, I can. I'll make a, an agreement with you. I'll compromise. I'll do half of it if you'll do half of it. And I'll equip you to do your half. I'll be there right with you. With that, he had no other answer to say, okay. I wish you could have seen this confident millionaire in his life, made millions of dollars, business executive. His hands were quivering like this. When all was said and done, you might ask, who was the best communicator? Maybe me. Who was the most effective pastor? Joe. No doubt about it. He knew them. He loved them. That's every priest, every Christian, a priest. It's the priesthood of all believers. All to say this, Christian, if you do not know who you are, then you will never live as you should live. If you don't believe you're a priest, you're going to miss out on what God has for you. Every Christian is what? A priest. Number two. Number two, every Christian is to offer sacrifices. Well, no more animal sacrifices. We know that. No more shedding of blood. Christ has died. That's it. Uh, but I'm going to give you four different texts that all mention different sacrifices that we give. I'm not going to try to teach them. I can't do that now. But I want you to remember them. Because, again, if you don't know what you're supposed to do, even if you know who you are, you're going to miss out on God's purpose in your life. There are four sacrifices every Christian is called to make. And I want you to remember them, so I'm going to give you a visual memory aid for each one. So hopefully in the morning you wake up, if I were to ask you, if I see you tomorrow, what are those four? Only because of the memory aids, otherwise you wouldn't, you may remember these four, all right? Here they are. Number one, our lives. Our lives. Here's the text, Romans 12, 1. Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. Notice what it says about sacrifice, acceptable to God meaning he loves it, which is your spiritual service of worship. So our lives. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to use my hand, and I'm going to put my hand over my heart, and that's going to be your memory of it's my heart, it's my life, all right? So my hand is going to go here, number one, all right? 
You got that? This is my life. Just remember the hand to the chest, to my heart. Number two, we're to give our worship. Listen to Hebrews 13, 15. Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice, there's the word, of praise to God. That is the fruit of the lips that give thanks to his name. I want to make a comment here. The fruit of the lips. Are you using this text to serve your own heart's need? I hope you are. I hope you're familiar with this text. This has been a savior to me. Because I don't know about you, but when I pray, I don't always feel the presence of God. I don't necessarily feel good about it. There are times I obey when I go, I don't feel good about obeying right now. I don't have the longing, the desire in my feelings and heart. I I don't know. And I realize this, that God says, look, it's the fruit of the lips that give praise to God. And how many times I've said, Lord... I accept you right now as a faithful, loving, protecting, caring God, but I just don't feel it at all right now. I don't sense your presence. I don't feel close to you. But Lord, it is the fruit of my lips that right now give you praise. It's me saying, I trust you, but I don't feel you right now. So I like to remember the second place. My hand starts here on my heart. Worship. My hand goes up. In our church, you'll see people scattered throughout that have a hand up or two hands up. Nothing better to do that, nothing worse to do that. It's perfectly a wonderful thing if you're expression. It's a biblical expression. So I just want you to think of it in that way, that think about worship and picture somebody with their hand, your hand up before the Lord. There's our worship, our second way that we sacrifice. Number three way we sacrifice is our service. I want you to think of a hand extended now as if to pick someone up, help someone in need. So the hand goes from the heart, it goes up to the Lord, it goes out to someone else. And the scripture, Hebrews 13, 16, and do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. Fourth and final, our resources. So the hand goes from the heart to extended. It goes downward to help someone and it goes into the pocketbook it goes into the wallet it goes into the pocket to get the money of resources and say I'd like to give there are other resources we give but we think mostly of monetary resources we read in Philippians 4.18 for I have received everything in full have an abundance I am aptly supplied having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent a fragrant aroma an acceptable sacrifice. And then it says, well-pleasing to God. you see how many times you heard well-pleasing, well-pleasing, well-pleasing? These are the things that delight the heart of the God that we serve, the God that gave his life for us. And he says to us, he says, look, children, this is what I ask of you, sacrifice. No animals. These are the real sacrifices now. Would you sacrifice? So we know who we are. We're priests. Well, what do we do? Well, we make sacrifices. That's just what we do as Christians. So what about faith promise? What a great way with our resources. And say, you know what? I learned faith promise in this church. I was just out of college, just starting seminary, and I come here and they do, we're going to do a faith promise. And it taught me something I will never forget and will be thankful for forever. 
I hope that you are taking hold of the opportunity to give. It is a sacrifice to the Lord. I love that it's a sacrifice, not just my tenth, which really isn't a sacrifice. It's something beyond. And I can say, here, Lord, you provide it. I'll, I'll give it to you. Sacrifice. Goes to our third and final teaching, that is every Christian is to proclaim the excellencies of Christ. In, in 1 Peter 2, 9, it says, all of this so that we may proclaim the excellencies. Excellencies refer to virtue and character. Claim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. So I wonder, if, if we were to take a survey here, among you, among you, if we could somehow pick out all of you that would say, I am truly a follower of Jesus. It is my delight and desire to follow and obey. If you're in that category and I were to say to you, I want you to give me four things that you regret. Four things as a Christian you wish you were doing better that you wish you were more faithful at, what would they be? I bet you in every person there would be this. I wish I would share my faith better. I wish I would witness. I wish I would lead somebody to Christ. I wish God would use me as an ambassador more effectively. Let me tell you, do you know that there are a lot of us as Christians in great churches who would say, you know, I can't name a person right now that is in heaven or is going to go to heaven because they've come to faith and God, by his grace, used me to introduce them to the great news of Jesus. There are many of us that can't do that. And not to shame or put people, but I tell you what, it's, there's, there's one of two reasons why we don't. You know what it is? We don't have a will or we don't have the way. There's a little adage that says, where there's a will, there is a way, right? I believe for the most part that's true. I mean, for me... I had a will as a kid. I, I wanted to dig a hole through the earth. I thought that could happen. I didn't know how big it was, but I figured it comes out, it's round, I'll go through and I'll see the other side. And I dug a hole till it was, the hole was deeper than I was tall. But you know what? I just didn't have a way to do it. But maybe it's the issue of the will, but maybe it's the way. Don't know. I know this. I have a way to do domestic work and housework and yard work. I don't have a will. That's my problem. I just don't have a will. And so I don't do enough of it. You with me? It takes both, a will and a way. But I'll tell you this, Christian. You focus on the will. When you got the will that says, I am committed, there will find a way. Because God wants you to do it. He's going to give you a way. There's no doubt about it. it. You'll find the way. I'll tell you this. I got a friend, not a close friend, a man I met with in, in Atlanta, Georgia. He is, his profession, he is a professional tennis coach. Plays outstanding tennis. He's a scratch golfer. You ought to Google him sometime. Either Google tennis player, golfer, with no arms. And watch the video. It'll blow your mind. He has no arms. Oh, he has hands, but only with about three fingers. One coming out of this shoulder and one on this shoulder. He's got two hands. He can't even... I, how does he do that? You'd say it's impossible. He'd say, no, it's not. I had a will that said I'll find a way. And I found a way to do it. Amazing. A will and a way. Do you understand the will is driven? It is truly driven by your belief system. If a belief becomes a conviction, 
It's what's gonna, it's gonna impact the emotion of the individual and the will to do things. For instance, imagine in a North Georgia or North Carolina mountain and a little girl, three years old, is in her little cabin room there and the parents are away in another end of the house and the door wide open and here walks in a seven, eight foot grizzly bear. And the grizzly bear rises up, shows the teeth, and the little girl says, oh boy, a teddy bear and it's alive. This is wonderful. What does the, what does the little girl do? She runs to her death right into the arms of that bear. She's six years old, seven years old, and she sees that same bear, and her beliefs are totally different. She says, this is a killer bear, and I, if I have to jump out a window that's a story high, and I come to my hurt, I'm going to save my life, and I will do that. I will do what I don't even desire to do because I believe something so much. Let me tell you, we have to believe it. That people are in darkness, as the text says. I, I don't think, I think we pretty much believe, you know, a lot of pagans are not in darkness. They're living the life, and that's what life's all about here. Look at all they have. Look at the way they're living. Look at the way they're smiling. Look at the joy they're having. They got better things than I've got. They're doing better. No, they're in darkness. And folks, when we die, there's ultimate darkness. I question whether the church today buys into true darkness eternally. And here's my reason. Because of people who've come up to me in my church multiple times and have said, you know, my dad died. And I said, I know, I'm so sorry. Well, thank you, but it was really good that, that he passed. I said, oh, really? Yeah, he, he was in so much pain, so much suffering. It's really the best thing. We were glad to see him get out of that pain. Well, let me tell you, I hear a Christian say that, and I'm going to assume their, their dad was a Christian. So I said, your dad, a believer then, huh? Oh, gosh, I don't know. I never saw any evidence of that. And I would never say anything as a pastor. I've never, not the right time, but I'm thinking, do you not believe in eternal darkness? No, that was not the best thing to happen for him to die. I asked two groups, small groups this last year, without them knowing why, I said, tell me all the reasons we should share our faith and I heard a list from both groups, never once did I hear because people perish in hell. I think we've lost that. Christian, know what you believe, and it drives us to have the will to find the way. I close with this. No, I don't, because time's up. I'm going to close, period, right now, all right? But I want to say in my closing, if you're a seeker here, folks, you remember that verse 6 I said I'll come back to. Verse 6 says this. It says that as Christians, we will be delighted and not disappointed. Seeker, if I meet you in a hundred years and you're in heaven because you saw Jesus and what he did, there's not one chance you're ever going to say, boy, am I disappointed that I came to faith in Jesus. Look to the cross. Christian, you remember who you are. You're a priest. Remember what you do. You make sacrifices. And not only do you make sacrifices, but you proclaim the excellencies of him who saved you. When we learn who we are and what we do, that's when life takes 
on meaning. Look to Jesus and you'll want to do what he asks. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the time to talk about these truths. We ask that you would grant us to embrace who we are, embrace what you've called us to do, and we pray, Father, that we would live a life without disappointment. And Father, I pray that you would grant every seeker among us who's not confident of knowing who you are, that they may see Christ and may fall in love with him to the end that they too make sacrifices as priests and who do proclaim your excellencies. Grant it, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.